Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. Well, I told you you got more than you bargained. We got live entertainment here. That's pretty good. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Those guys sounded good. Uh, this weekend, you've got me. Pastor Ron has uh, been away on meeting, uh, at meetings all this last week, and so he'll be back with you next weekend. But uh, we're continuing our series, as you see here, The Touchable Jesus. We're talking about The Touchable Jesus, The Touchable Church for the next several months, and Tonight, I want to talk with you about the influence of a changed life. Uh, your first clue that I was probably going to be preaching is uh, in your bulletins on the inside of the back page. So you may want to find that uh, so you have some sermon notes to take home with you tonight. This is a powerful story. I need to warn you about that just right up front. Tonight we're going to be looking at a very, very dramatic portion of Scripture, a very powerful section of the Bible. And what it does is it helps us understand what can happen when we have a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus and we are touched by Him. And what I'm going to do tonight is I'd like to read a story that's found in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And also it's recorded in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. I need to give you a little background to this story. Uh, Jesus had just crossed over from the west side to the east side of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And if you're familiar with that story, there was a terrible storm. The waves were threatening to sink their boat. And with a word, Jesus spoke and the waves were calm. And so they made their way to the eastern shore where they encountered a man who had a very serious problem. And what I've done tonight for our scripture reading is um, I've actually combined both of these accounts, the one in Mark and also in Luke. I've taken the details of both and put them together in one story so that we can get all of the details of what happened on this particular occasion. So it begins this way. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when Jesus had come out of the boat and stepped out on the land, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had demons for a long time, who wore no clothes and did not live in a house, but had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And he was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country into the abyss. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out of the man and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed the swine saw what happened, they fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And then the people went out from the city to see what had happened and came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then the whole multitude from the surrounding region of the Gadarenes began to plead with him to depart from their region, for they were seized with great fear. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Well, this is quite a story. Uh, Obviously, this man had a very serious problem, and as we diagnose this problem, I need to just take a moment and talk to you a little bit about the healing ministry of of Jesus. Uh, During his ministry, Jesus healed a lot of different people who suffered from a variety of problems, Some people suffered from physical illnesses. And the Bible tells us how countless people who were sick with fevers or were blind or deaf or had a terrible disease like leprosy were healed simply as Jesus touched them and they were cleansed and they were miraculously healed just through the touch of Jesus. The Bible also tells us about people who were healed in their soul emotionally They had mental problems or emotional disorders. I call these sicknesses of the soul. And these are the result oftentimes of sinful choices that cause us to feel hopeless, afraid, guilty, or ashamed of something in our life. A good example of this is the sinful woman who came into this house of a Pharisee who is having Jesus over for dinner and so Jesus is at the table with this Pharisee. They're having a conversation. In comes this woman into the home and um, she begins to weep and wipes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And then she anoints his feet with fragrant oil. And what was really disturbing about the scene is that this was a woman who had a reputation in town. She was an immoral woman but apparently was just deeply broken by her sinful, immoral past. And she just felt compelled to bring her life and her past to Jesus. She had a sickness of the soul. And in the midst of this this moment here in this man's house, Jesus turned to her and said these words. He said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
What an amazing moment. At that moment, this woman knew that her sins were forgiven. She was freed from the guilt and shame of her past. No longer felt worthless and condemned. Because Jesus had done a miracle in her soul. He cleansed her of all of the filth of the sin of her past. And she was whole. But this man in the Gadarene suffered from a different kind of sickness. It was a spiritual sickness that affected his entire being. Body, soul, and spirit. The Bible doesn't tell us how this man became a host for so many of these demonic spirits, only that he'd been tormented by these spirits for a very long time. The gospel accounts record that Jesus delivered a lot of people during his ministry who were oppressed or demonized. In fact, we get the impression from the Bible that this was a very common uh, experience um, when when he would minister, these people would begin to manifest the presence of a spirit. The spirits would cry out, and with a word, he command them to leave. And these spirits who had taken up residence in these people would immediately leave. One Mary, for example, was delivered of seven demons that had lived in her. Acts ten thirty eight. In this passage, the apostle Peter summarizes this part of Jesus' ministry, and he said this: that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And I suspect there is no one more there was no one more oppressed by the devil than this man who had a legion of demons. Um, You may have heard of the Roman legions. Well, a legion consisted of a regiment of about 6,000 soldiers. We even use that word legion today to represent a large amount of something, a large number of something. And so here is a man who is filled with these spirits that had taken up residence within him. Can you imagine having thousands of voices in your head? telling you to do terrible things to yourself and to others, and then being powerless to resist them. You get the distinct impression from this passage that this man really had no self-control. These spirits had taken over and were using him and abusing him. This is no doubt an extreme case, which I think is why the townspeople were terrified of this man. Jesus said that he had friends. Did you notice that in the story? He said, go tell your friends. So I suspect there were people that were greatly upset and and grieved over this man's condition. And, And perhaps that's why they went out and tried to shackle him and bind him with chains so he couldn't hurt anybody else or hurt himself. But these spirits seemed to have given him supernatural strength. He could break the chains. There was no shackle strong enough to hold him. And these spirits would then drive him into the wilderness to live alone in the tombs, wailing and crying out day and night, cutting himself with stones. This is a man, I think, that was completely without hope. He was condemned to live a life of agonizing despair that is until he saw Jesus. It's very interesting to me that in this story, the ones who recognized Jesus first were the spirits themselves. 
In fact, when Jesus, whenever he went someplace, it was always the demons who recognized him first. And they said it was like they were saying, what are you doing here? I know who you are. You're the son of God. Why are you here now? Have you come to torment us before the time? That's what they're pleading. Don't torment us. They already know their fate. And so these demons, it says they recognized Jesus from afar. And this man went running running toward Jesus, which to me is a remarkable thing. It seems that somehow the man became aware as well as who Jesus was. And he somehow summoned enough strength to move in the direction of the Son of God. Somehow he knew there was enough of himself there that he knew there was hope in Jesus. If he could just get to Jesus. And when he did, did you notice his posture? It says that he worshiped. That literally means that he fell down. He bowed down before him in his presence. But he couldn't even muster enough of his own voice to speak on his own behalf. The spirits were speaking through him. The legion begged Jesus that they wouldn't be sent to the abyss, apparently a place of awaiting final punishment. They pleaded with Jesus that they could take up residence within the herd of pigs. And so with a word, Jesus dismissed these spirits and set that man completely free. This man who had been oppressed by the devil for so many years. And finally, for perhaps the first time in years, he was at peace and in his right mind. What a moment that must have been for him. I think this is just this event is just one of many examples that illustrate why Jesus became a man and lived among us. I think it's very significant that the day Jesus began his ministry, he described his mission by reading a passage from Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 through 2 and it's quoted in Luke 4:18 through 19. Jesus said, "This is my mission. This is why I've come." He says, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." That's why he came. The brokenhearted, who are those? Those who are crushed by life. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. They're brokenhearted. They, they have no hope. Jesus came to set people who are oppressed free from bondages, spiritual bondages. The thing of it is, is Jesus still doing that mission today. He hasn't stopped. That's still his mission today. And he's doing the same things through those who believe in him. In fact, if we had the time tonight, many of you could share your testimony. You could tell us how you you ran to Jesus at one point in your life. And he set you free. He healed you spiritually, gave you a new life. You knew you sinned. You knew you needed God's forgiveness. And so you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And you became a child of God. God forgave you. He gave you the gift of eternal life. And that's a profound spiritual miracle all by itself. But if we had even more time tonight, many of you could share a testimony of how God has healed you physically. Maybe God has done a healing miracle in your physical body at some point in your life. Or maybe you could tell us the story of how 
some painful memories from childhood that just crippled you emotionally and mentally that God has delivered you from those and brought health to your soul. Some of you could perhaps even share a testimony with us of how God delivered you from unseen spiritual forces that controlled your life through some kind of addiction. Jesus is still setting people free. He's still healing the brokenhearted. He bears every burden. We sang about that a little while ago. He hears every whisper. He knows our hearts. But we have to go to Him to experience that touch, as this man did. Many of us here have experienced the truth of John 8.36, which says this, If the Son makes you free... You shall be free indeed. And I have no doubt that this demonized man in our story was set free indeed. You get the picture that there was this dramatic transformation. He had been in a spiritual prison for who knows how long, years. But now he's completely free. But as impressive as that miracle was, the deliverance of this man from the Gadarenes, There is another miracle in this passage that we have to do a little digging to discover. It's the miracle of how the influential testimony of a changed life can affect thousands of other people who also need the healing touch of Jesus. But for me to explain this secondary miracle, we need to appreciate, first of all, the significance of the location of where this took place. We have on the screen here a map of the area around the Sea of Galilee. You see there Capernaum, which was Jesus, the city of Peter, where Jesus spent a lot of time, Bethsaida, Magdala, Tiberias. On the right side of the Sea of Galilee, you'll notice a city there right on the very edge called Gergesa. In some of your Bibles, instead of the word gatherings, you may see the translation there, Gerasenes. In fact, not even too sure where that exact location is, but you'll notice here that Gergasa seems to be, from a geographical standpoint, the only place on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee where there is a steep mountain that descends right into the Sea of Galilee. And this is where we believe this miracle actually occurred. In fact, today there's a, there are ruins of an ancient monastery that still, still is there. It was it was kind of the swine church. It was actually kind of given that name because it was there to commemorate this particular miracle that happened. Why the geography here is important is in the lower right part of the screen, you'll see the word Decapolis. Decapolis was not a city, but a region. It was a province. And the word itself literally means From the Greek, deca meaning ten, polis meaning cities. What this really is, is a region consisting of ten cities. We can't even show you on the map the fullest extent of the Decapolis because some Bible commentators suggest that it went as far south as you see it there on the map in the Jordan River, as far north as Damascus. Some even think it went as far north as that area. And so what we need to understand the reason the geography is so important where this miracle occurred is that it's in this area where there were 10 cities. And uh, the other thing that's important to notice is that this region was predominantly Gentile, predominantly consisted of Gentiles who lived over there. 
I don't have any doubt that this is why these, uh, uh, by the way, these Gentiles hated the Jews. And I, and I really think that's why they had such a large herd of swine feeding on that mountain hillside as a kind of insult to the Jews who lived in the area to the, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. As we know from the law of Moses, pigs are considered unclean animals. Jews would not touch one. They wouldn't eat any pork. They would not have anything to do with that. And so here you have a herd of 2,000 pigs right on the shore, near the shoreline of major Jewish cities. So uh, this is all important um, to lead us then to the initial results of this miracle. The first result, as we noticed, is that there was the loss of 2,000 pigs. Um, that was a pretty dramatic moment. Try to picture that in your mind, if you will. Uh, imagine seeing Sea of Galilee, 2,000 pigs dead, floating out there. Well, that would get people's attention for sure. John 10, verse 10, says an interesting thing about the devil and his goals and intentions. It says this, The thief, that is the devil, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And what's important for us to notice about this story is it shows us the devil's true nature. He is truly a thief. He is there to steal a person's life, steal their soul, to kill and to destroy. It's interesting and instructive to me that the moment these spirits entered these swine who had no intellectual capacity to resist their influence, the first thing they did is plunge to their deaths, drown themselves. That's their very nature is to kill life, to take life. And as soon as they did this, as soon as they... They inhabited and controlled and enslaved these, these, these pigs. They drowned. And, and that's what their desire was to do with this man and any person for that matter. That's their goal. To torment people and eventually kill them as a host through self-destructive, suicidal acts. This man was cutting himself with stones, living in agony. But the nature of Jesus is to set people free. His nature is to not bring death, but to bring life. In fact, He brings life out of death. To give us a life of peace and joy. There was a second result of this deliverance. And that's, it's important to notice the reaction of the people. The herdsmen who were there. And then the, surround, the crowds that came from the surrounding region. I want to read that passage again. It says, When those who fed the swine saw what happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And then the people went out from the city to see what had happened and came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Then the whole multitude from the surrounding region of the gatherings began to plead with him to depart from their region, for they were seized with great fear. Let me translate all that very succinctly, very briefly. What that really means is they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They wanted to have nothing to do with this man. They saw that demonized man. First of all, that's scary enough. But now they see him sitting clothed in his right mind. Then they look over and they see 2,000 pigs floating in the sea. And they, do, they weren't too sure 
that they wanted somebody with that kind of power around for what he might do next. And I'm convinced that today there are a lot of people who have that same reaction to Jesus today. A lot of people are afraid of God. They aren't too sure about His intentions. So to be on the safe side, what they do is they want to keep God at a safe distance, hope that He will leave them alone as well. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. I mean, that sounds kind of like religion or something. I, I'm scared of that. I don't, want to, I don't know what He's wanting to do. I don't even want to pray too much. I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. People have funny ideas about God. And, and it's really, you know, to me, this is the saddest part of the story. Here's a whole crowd of people. They're looking at Jesus. They're looking at this man who's set free. They're looking at the pigs. And their reaction is, please leave. Please leave. We don't want you here. We don't need you here. And then I'm, in my mind, I'm seeing Jesus, his disciples, getting into the boat and sailing away. They just sent the Son of God away. They sent the only Savior away. Wow. That is a sad deal. Because there's no other Savior. But I'm glad the story doesn't end here. Because before Jesus left... He had a conversation with that demonized man. And this is a very interesting part of the story. The demonized man said, Jesus, can I follow you? Can I be one of your disciples? I, you set me free. You've given me life. I want to go wherever you're going. I want to follow you. It doesn't matter wherever you're going. I want to be with you. Jesus said, no, I don't want you to follow me right now. Now, that to me is an interesting thing, because Jesus, throughout his ministry, he was always calling, calling people, say, come, follow me, come, follow me, come, follow me. This guy says, I want to follow you. Jesus says, no, go home. That's odd. I'm thinking, here's a good volunteer. This guy, this guy here could share a testimony all throughout wherever you, this is, this is, this is a great example. Why not have him around? I want to read the passage again. There's a request here. And when Jesus got in the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him. But he said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Did you catch that? It says that he went... He left, he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. That means that this man just didn't go to one city. He just didn't go home to his friends. He went to all ten cities. And he said, remember me, I'm the, I'm the demonized guy. I'm the guy, look, here's the marks from the chains and the shackles. You know, Jesus of Nazareth healed me and set me free. He made it, he, he was an itinerator, itinerating. He was going throughout all that region of the Decapolis saying, look at me, God set me free. I'm in my right mind. I am whole again. So he went into all these cities and everybody was marveling and they were amazed that he was completely in his right mind. But the story continues. This part, it, re it really gets good. Watch this now. See, after Jesus left that eastern shore, he went across the Sea of Galilee, and the Bible tells us where he went next. It tells us that he went clear to the Mediterranean coast and visited two cities. 
One was called Tyre, the other was called Sidon. Let's read the passage in Mark 7, 31 through 8, verse 9. It says, And departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of, say it with me, Decapolis. Well, wait a minute, isn't that where they just said, go away, we don't want you here anymore? Jesus is going back to the same area. He's going now through the Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. He makes a big circuit. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in the speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and he spat on his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loose and he spoke plainly. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they now have continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. For, listen, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said, he said, uh, he said to set them before them before them. Also before them. So they ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now, here it is. Now, those who had eaten were about four thousand. Four thousand. I wonder where these four thousand got the idea that they could bring a deaf man who was mute to Jesus. I wonder where they got that idea. As you look at that map, if we could bring that back up again, we look at that map there, you'll notice that. From Tyre, north to Sidon, he went all the way around the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, down through the Decapolis, over to the eastern shore, lower part of the Sea of Galilee, before returning across the sea once again. But before he crossed over, there's a group of 4,000 people that he's feeding. Did you notice that Jesus actually used sign language to communicate with this man what he was about to do? Putting his fingers in the ear, in the ears, what is he saying? I'm about to make you able to hear. Touching his tongue, he says, I'm going to help you speak. So there's sign language in the Bible. That's how he communicated with the man. So here's the question. What made the difference, do you think, between Jesus' first visit over there to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and now his second trip through? I can think of only one thing that would explain the difference in the reception. And that's the influence of a changed life. The only thing that was different from Jesus' first visit and his second was that this demonized man had gone through the entire region of the Decapolis and told everyone what Jesus had done for him. At first, they weren't too sure about Jesus. I mean, 2,000 pigs, that's a lot. A big loss. They weren't too sure about Jesus. But seeing this man, as he shared his testimony of what God did for him, how God had compassion on him, they were willing to take a chance. They bring this deaf man, this guy who is deaf and mute, they bring him to Jesus, and he heals him. 
And their conclusion was this. He has done all things well. Four thousand people. And they didn't come from just nearby. It says they came from afar. See the son of God. Well, there's an obvious application that we all need to take away from this story. And that is this. Have you told anyone what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you? I want to be very specific here. I want to talk to you as parents. As a parent with children... Have you ever taken the occasion or the opportunity to sit down with your children and explain to them why you became a Christian? When it happened. How it happened. What you prayed. I will guarantee you this. If you pray and ask God for an opportunity to sit down with your kids and say, you know, this is why we go to church. This is why I read the Bible. This is why I pray. This is what my life was like before I received Jesus. I can guarantee you that your kids will be very attentive to every word that you say, and they will remember what you say for the rest of their lives. That's the influence of a changed life. How about if you're a young person, have you shared the good news with some of your friends? Have you talked to some of your peers and said, you know, I I go to church and I read the Bible and I pray because I received Jesus as my Savior. I've sinned and I I need His forgiveness. Would you be interested? Could I introduce you to Jesus? See, those people on the eastern shore, they, they needed to know that good news. They, they were lost without somebody to introduce them to this Jesus. And instead of running away from him in fear, actually believe, ah, this guy does all things well. I want to encourage you that God's not asking you to sell somebody religion. He's not asking you to try to have a philosophical debate with anybody. You don't have to get into arguments about God, the Bible, churches, denominations. And in fact, here's even better news. It's not your job even to save anybody. It's not your job. There's only one Savior. By the way, His name is Jesus. It's not you. But listen, what God does need is He asks us, would you introduce people to me? Would you just tell them that they don't need to be scared of me, that I love them? I want them to be in their right mind, to have joy and peace and to find the answers to the questions they're asking. But most people, there's a lot of people that are really afraid of God. They're afraid of Jesus. Even the name is just, it's like, I don't know if I want Jesus. So what makes him teachable? What, 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 what makes him touchable? How can Jesus touch their life through you and through me as we just share what happened. No one can argue with your personal testimony. Nobody can say to you, no, that didn't happen. It did. You don't have to prove it to anybody. Just say, this is what God did for me. That's what Jesus told the man. Go tell people how God had compassion on you. 
Tell God, tell these people what great things God has done for you. And the result was 4,000 people came out to see it for themselves and were changed. There's some last good news that I want to. I want to pass along to you in this is this. The good news is that there is no such thing as a failure when you tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. There is no such thing as a failure. This is how Jesus became touchable to those who didn't know him in the Decapolis. And it is still how Jesus touches lives today. So there's no such thing as a failure. A lot of times people don't want to tell people about Jesus or what, you know, what it means to be a Christian because they're, they're afraid of messing it up or doing something wrong. You cannot do it wrong. In fact, here is a prayer I guarantee... T that God will always answer. You ready for this? The Lord gave this to me just yesterday. You just need to pray this way. God will answer this. I guarantee it. Lord, would you give me an opportunity to tell someone what you did for me? Now, that's praying in the keeping with the will of God. And he will bring someone into your path. Maybe it's you start with your kids. Maybe, you know, the Lord sets up a time for you to talk to a co-worker or a friend or a neighbor. But I guarantee you, if you say, Lord, I, I, I want to tell somebody else what great things that you've done for me and how you had compassion on me. And if you pray that prayer, be ready. God will answer it and he'll give you the chance. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Before I close in prayer, I... I do want to ask this question as we do each weekend. We certainly want to give everyone the opportunity to meet Jesus. And so if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the Lord of your life, we want to help you make that introduction and get acquainted with Him. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It simply means that you come to Jesus and say, Lord, I, I need your touch. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I know I've sinned. Lord, tonight I believe that you can and want to forgive me of my sins and you want to give me the gift of eternal life. That's God's promise to you. But he's waiting for you to come to him and ask. And so if you've never done that, you've never invited Jesus to save you, to come into your heart and to be your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that chance right now. So if that's you, would you just lift up your hand so I can pray with you? And lead you in an introductory prayer with Jesus right now. Just lift your hand so I can see you with our eyes closed and our heads bowed. I just want to pray with you before we close. Lift your hand so I can see you and look up here if there's anyone here. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you. We're going to get a card to help you in this decision you're making right now just to encourage you. Who else would list their hand and say, Pastor Al, I need the Lord tonight too. I need to receive Jesus. I need His forgiveness tonight. Just lift your hand so I can see you. Look up here. Thank you, Lord. Yes, thank you, Jesus. All of us in this place, would you pray this prayer of commitment along with those who lifted their hands and just say this. Would you just pray with me saying, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. So I could be forgiven. Lord, I come to you tonight. And I ask you to forgive me. Please come into my heart. And be my savior. And the Lord of my life. 
I thank you for your forgiveness. And I thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I want to pray for all of us.